Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from 6th and Peabody in Nashville, Tennessee. Outkick 360 rolls on. Glad you're with us. Final hour is here with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Titans hosting the Bengals this Saturday. That game followed by Aaron Rodgers taking on Jimmy Garoppolo. Green Bay hosting San Francisco. And then the Sunday slate of games. We now know the Buccaneers will host the Los Angeles Rams. And then we get Chiefs and Bills and what should be an epic game in the AFC Divisional Round at Arrowhead. Plenty of storylines coming up involving the NFL. We'll talk with uh, Josh Pate. We'll flip, flip the show and, and talk some college football. That's in 20 minutes. Really looking forward to talking with him from 24-7 Sports. Um, Chad, this I, I've been going back and forth on. I was asked by Dockich yesterday morning who I thought would be the, type, the Titans' toughest opponent with the three remaining remaining teams. He's thinking Bengals and then the winner of Bills Chiefs. And while we have seen the head-to-head matchup with the Bills and the Chiefs, and knowing that it goes through Nashville and not Arrowhead or through Buffalo, I go back to what I said last week and and really the, the week prior whenever they were trying to get the number one seed locked down. I think this game, while they we were debating whether or not they would play Henry in Houston and you, you talk rust and time off and you want to get hit the gears and, and get going. You've got the Bengals who have been playing exceptional football down the backstretch of the season. They win their division. They, they hang on to beat the Raiders at home for their first playoff victory in 31 years. They've got Joe Burrow uh, being asked about, you know, accomplishing that feat. And he's going on and saying, look, this is, this is the new standard. We're setting the new standard in Cincinnati. They're ready to go, and they know how explosive their offense is. Meanwhile, you've got the Titans who are debuting Henry back from injury, and you wonder how long it takes them to mix the firepower with the horsepower and get the engine started, right? Because we have, we've seen at times fast starts. We haven't seen the fast start with this group since Kansas City. That was way back when. It was three months ago. It's the last time we've seen a truly fast start out of the gates with this collective group together. So the question is, how quick can they get going? And and to me, if you get past this round, then you're revved up and you're you're moving forward with your with your group. I think just based on that, I, I think this could be the toughest of the opponents to get to LA. I'm not saying the Super Bowl, but I've seen the matchups against Mahomes and Allen. I haven't seen them face Burrow since last year. And by the way, that was a loss. And now they're trying to continue the momentum having the week off, and getting their best player back. What do you think? I, I, I would agree uh, with that. I also think that it's um, there's something about this Cincinnati team, and I, I'm not going to be uh, – there's a lot of people who are looking at this game, and it's almost like a, an alarmist with Cincinnati and the matchup with the Titans. I think this is a good matchup for the Titans. I do too. I, I really do. Um, 
But there is something about Joe Burrow seemingly not caring. And I say that in a good way. Like The, the, the assumption would be a, a quarterback as young as Burrow going through their first round of playoff games would be affected by a road game. That somehow you know, the opponent, uh, the crowd, the pressure would get to him and would affect him. That's not going to be a factor. So I think you eliminate that with Joe Burrow. That's one thing I'll say about just the intangibles with the matchup yeah, for the Titans. His, his makeup is just different. He's very different. He's very different. I say doesn't care in a good way. Very nonchalant, type A, alpha on the field, similar to Aaron Rodgers. He has some grit to him. Who always seems There's cool, a, calm, collected, some, but also seems pumped up at times. Yeah, a little right? sandpaper to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. And then they had the explosive firepower of Chase. You know, they have a very capable back in Joe Mixon. They've got, and he's more than capable. I mean, he was at one point, I mean, I think he finished third or fourth in carries for the season, but at one point he was leading that department um, back in September, other than Henry I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the matchup. I, I do think there are certain areas that the Titans can exploit, but again, like how fast can they get going? Can they get out to that lead and then you make Cincinnati one-dimensional? I there, there are matchups we're going to point to, but here's... here's It's all about control to me, Hutton, what you're talking about. The Titans have the ability, and so does, so does Cincinnati, but the Titans have the ability to control how they want this game to play out. Yes. And I'm not saying dominating the scoreboard, but having a successful run game, playing defense, and getting after the quarterback the way they want to get after the quarterback without blitzing uh, against the Cincinnati offensive line... That's what I mean by they have a chance to control the style of play. Well, that's what I, yesterday I said there are two key areas. First, they've got to get to Burrow with four. That that's number one. Can cover with seven, and they're capable of that with their front. Number two, and and no one sat, was sacked more than Burrow in the regular season, fifty-one times. And I'm sure Cincy fans are tired of hearing that, but they, that's the reality. Twenty-five times in his final six games, while they were there were while they're winning, he was still getting sacked. Um, and the 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 second thing was control the clock with your style you know the three and outs early you know there have been some slugfests uh, along the way the titans won 12 games and you can't take away the wins but even in the wins there have been some slugfests because teams were able to hang around uh because there was just these slow starts they eventually picked it up but slow starts i think if you get the slow starts against cincy they're capable of grabbing a 10 nothing you know 13 nothing type lead and that changes some of the things you may be able to do depending on uh, the availability of Henry. Going back to what pro football doc, Dr. David Chow was telling us, he's like, this isn't going to be a 30-carry game for him. A 30-carry game for Henry means you can be down double digits or down even, in some cases, three possessions. We've seen them down 17, and they still stick with the run. I don't know if you do that based on the makeup of who you have behind Henry. That being said, they're capable of running and establishing the ground attack even against what has been a, a good but not great Cincinnati run defense because they haven't faced the amount of carries from an offense on a routine basis that they will likely see from the Tennessee Titans on Saturday. But here's something that we haven't seen that I'm expecting. I'm expecting the best game day atmosphere in Music City in Nashville in, I mean, uh, over 15 years. I mean, even prior to 2008 when they had the number one seed and Baltimore came in and won. There were Baltimore fans here. There have been great atmospheres here this season. Don't get me wrong. But some of the best atmospheres have featured Chiefs fans, 
have featured uh, Bills fans in attendance, have featured 49ers fans in attendance. The biggest wins along the way have featured a lot of the uh, the opposing team's colors throughout these stands. And it's while it's not uh, overbearing to the point where it's like, man, this is 50-50. I mean, Chiefs and Bills, they're already bragging that they've bought up hotel rooms for the AFC Championship game. I haven't heard that from the city of Cincinnati that is on fire and, and buzzing based off their first playoff win in 31 years. I think the best atmosphere that we have seen in over 10-plus years, no, for sure 10-plus, in over 15 years, because I want to go back before 2008, I think it happens Saturday because I think the stadium is full of Titans fans primarily. That's, again, my expectation here you, is the stadium is Titan blue instead of a mixture of, oh, look who travels well from the visiting opponent. You expect this to be more of a 99 against the Bills or 2000 against 2001, Baltimore. 2002. I mean, there was just some good One of those there. type of playing Pittsburgh in 2001 or two, whatever year that was. That's what I'm thinking. It's going to be closer to that than, let's say, and, a year ago against well, Baltimore. And, let, and let's also where say... Where it wasn't as great, obviously, with COVID... A very different atmosphere for that game. All, yeah, all all fair. I, I'll say this too. The 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 other thing, the other deciding factor in that opinion that's not going down to the limb is how loud that place is going to be when they announce the starting offense and Derrick Henry runs out of the tunnel. I mean that that the roar we will hear then will be unlike we've heard anything we've heard at the stadium in years, years for any touchdown, for any big win at the end with the fireworks going off. That place is going to be electric. It, it, it makes up for a very special night. And it's the opportunity for the Titans to capitalize on it. Hanai, I am with you. Uh, I expect a great atmosphere for the Titans on, on Saturday night. Let me also say this. I am angry if I'm a Titans fan for this reason. Going into these playoffs, all that we heard about from an atmosphere standpoint was, boy, it's going to be electric in Cincinnati as they try to win their first playoff game in years. Boy, I don't care if it's the wind chill of six below in Buffalo. It's going to be electric. It's going to be amazing for that game. Why the hell not Nashville in terms of electricity? This is a team that's never won a Super Bowl. You want to talk about Never hosted starved? an AFC championship Never game. hosted an AFC championship game. Been to the Super Bowl one time, yet not a single person talks about the atmosphere or the electricity or the anticipation in Nashville, Tennessee. That is pathetic. Change that on Saturday night. Change that where people are tuning into that game and saying, man, this is maybe the loudest game I've watched on television if they're watching from somewhere else. But these Titans fans are really excited. This is the number one overall seed in the AFC. This is not a regular occurrence for Nashville, Tennessee, and the Tennessee Titans. So treat it that way. I get that it's a starved fan base in Cleveland when they go to the playoffs a couple years ago. I understand that Cincinnati hasn't won a playoff game since 91, but I'm watching Cincinnati, a stadium very similar to Nissan Stadium here in Nashville, and it's loud for that game. Very impressed with their fans and the excitement around hosting a playoff game. Buffalo's always going to bring it. No surprise there. I expect the same from Titans fans. Oh, I think they will on Saturday. And, and I, I, maybe that's too much to ask, but I, I absolutely expect people that have no dog in the hunt Tune into that game Saturday night and say, man, that was loud. Titans fans were ready for that moment as a number one seed hosting a team that you watched the week before 
have a great home atmosphere. I agree with you on this one, Hudden. I think they're going to bring it. The atmosphere will be there on Saturday night, and I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. Well, I mean, and I, I'm not sitting here saying they're setting the sound records for stadiums. Like they're not. It's not Seattle. Or it's not going to be Arrowhead. Those are at a different level. But we haven't seen the Titans be at the Titans level of the loudest stadium in the NFL, which was 99, 2000, 2001. We have not seen that. Even in 2008, it didn't come close to that. Where the visiting fans, they're not outnumbering them, but they're visible. And you go to Arrowhead and you see visiting fans in the parking lot, and you're thinking, oh, this is a this is a blue takeover with all the Titans fans here. And then you don't see a trace of them inside the stadium. I don't know about the AFC Championship game, but the Titans make it there and they're hosting the game, what the atmosphere is like compared to the the visiting fans. But while I think Cincinnati fans will travel, I don't think it'll be anywhere close to what we have seen from the Chiefs and the Bills already this season in the stadium. And for that reason, I think there's uh, it, – it is officially a sellout. We knew it was. I think it's chock full of, of Titans fans there. And, in, in, and people ask, why is that in the past? Just in the past, we've seen – um, and in recent years, we've seen fans, for whatever reason, either sell their tickets or the Chiefs and Bills fans are able to buy them up in advance. And, and they travel well here because it's an easy uh, access with the, the, the airport. Hotel prices are skyrocketing here in Nashville, but the airport's easy access in and out. You can normally fly direct and you can get out of Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know the Cincinnati part of this is it's an easy drive. It's it's four hours, four and a half hours from Nashville. So there's going to be some Cincinnati fans no, yeah, in the there city. Will be some. But I'm with you. It's not going to make an impact on the stadium with tickets they buy up, and, and, which and, is a welcome relief for Titans fans that go to the games. And knowing the circumstances of King Henry, Derrick Henry returning. And they'll announce the offense as the starters. They usually they do one side of the ball or the other. Some you know Fisher did special teams one time, um, and it was against Buffalo. Go figure with uh, Music City Miracle. Um, they they will do the offense on Saturday and announce Henry. And when that happens, that place will be as loud as we've ever heard it since the Titans moved to town. That's my prediction on it. No reason why it shouldn't be. Well, every Titans fan. And now it's up to that, the team. That watches the team. this, hears this, is going to say, yes, that, sh- that should be the way that it is on Saturday night. And I'll say, you know, others are saying, well, you know, they aren't you worried about them coming out flat? Not, the, the team controls that, right? It, Brable was asked about it today on, or are you worried about the team being so, or certain players being so amped up that they get uh, over-anxious, over-amped for kickoff? And he's like, well, we've already addressed that. Like, we've, we've been through that. Uh, he has a team now that's we always mentioned the staircase. 2019, they don't do enough in the regular season, so they have to go on the road. And they go on the road and win all the way through the AFC Championship game and lose to Kansas City. Last year, they win the division for the first time in a long time, and they host a playoff game. And this year, they not just win the division for back-to-back seasons uh, for the first time since they, they were Oilers, they are now the number one seed for the first time in 13 years and a win away from hosting their first AFC championship. Like the, He's addressed this along the way, and I think, for the most part, the veteran team should handle that well. They control it. It's not on the, the hype of the game for this. More on the matchup coming up later in the week where 
We'll dive into all four uh, of the games across the NFL. When we come back, though, Chad, a, a guy that we're a fan of uh, through uh, his YouTube channel and through uh, 24-7 Sports is Josh Pate. Does excellent work on college football. Um, the, the daily videos right now, I mean, he could do something daily on the transfer portal because of how busy it is and how crazy it is. Uh, we'll get into that and much more. That's just around the corner. Yeah, he caught our eye with uh, some really good work uh, with uh, uh, some of his monologues uh, with, with 24-7 Sports. He had a great one after the Tennessee Ole Miss officiating debacle that got a lot of views and a lot of people talking and is a really good voice uh, uh, on college football issues. And we're going to get into a number of college football issues with Josh when we come back. Looking forward to this. That's next on Outkick 360. Let's get after it. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody in Music City with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us and pleased to be joined by Josh Pate, 24-7 Sports at Late Kick. Josh is where you can follow him on Twitter and uh, all of his great work through YouTube and the great channel there. Josh, great to have you on the show, man. Hope, hope things are well. I'm happy to be here. A little disappointed in myself. Thought I had everything lined up today had the gym schedule all figured out, had a much nicer shirt I was going to wear, and yet here I am in a random parking lot uh, south of Nashville wearing a shirt where clearly the neckline has been stretched well beyond repair. Uh, But this is my life. This is what happens after the national championship game. This is a step up for us. Most of our guests are driving while they join us on on the stream. So at least you you parked. So we appreciate you for that. Thank you. Why are we, Josh, why are we parked with the college football playoff at four right now? If you would have asked me prior to the start of kickoff of the 2021 season, I would have told you by January, by the start of February, we would be talking about playoff expansion. And instead, we've got conferences, even like the ACC, that are holding things up for their own gain. And in, in, in some ways, I don't blame them. And in some ways, I'm thinking, how stupid are you with all the money that's at stake with this? What? Why have we not reached a point where we're seeing the, the move from 4 to 12? There's the cynical crowd out there who says the ACC is holding things up to force Notre Dame's hand. Look, that may be the case. I know when we were at the national championship, it was like there were people there for two different reasons. There were people like me who were just there for the game. And then there were this other whole gaggle of reporters who crowded outside that secret room on the third floor of the Marriott there in Indianapolis every morning. So that's where the meetings were going on. And every day they would all be hopeful. And every day someone would emerge and say, no, no white smoke, not today, no expansion. And really what it comes down to is the answer to this question is the same answer to the question of, well, why don't we have consensus on NIL? Why don't we have a a set transfer portal guideline and schematic? It's because there is no centralization in the sport. Sometimes that's a good thing. But oftentimes, if you're rooting for playoff expansion, which I personally am not, but if you're rooting for it, that's your issue. Your issue is you've got different folks coming to the table with different agendas and you don't have anyone in the middle of the room who's listening to it all and saying, I've heard you. Now, here's the way it's going to be because you have given me that authority. And as much as I would love to have that job, I don't think anyone's going to be given that authority anytime soon. So 2026, whereas entering last week, it looked like we were going to have some announcement. 2026 now looks like it is the announcement. Let's get to the... uh central governing body of the sport and if that's going to happen josh do you think that we've gotten any closer to something like that taking place i I know nick saban and kirby smart up in indianapolis talked about the need for that 
uh, to get NIL under control, to get the transfer portal under control. Um, do you think that with the loss of power of the NCAA we've seen in recent years that we're getting closer to some sort of college football commission type scenario that can properly regulate all of these issues? I think it's going to have to coincide with some other things. So my short answer is yes. I think the net result is we are closer today. But I don't think that world happens without a world where we move closer to, I guess, what we, we would consider true employment status for players, which I think also exists in a world that is in the next round of maybe playoff television rights and media rights, wherein players, I think, are lumped into that. Because I think there's a ways that you have to go before you can check all those boxes. When you check those boxes, though, and you get to a point where players are viewed differently than the classical student-athlete model, the true amateurism model that we've seen for quite a while, then I think you're starting to get to a place where you've also got collective bargaining that enters the equation. I know a lot of people who are traditionalists want to take a shower as they're listening to me say all this, but the fact of the matter is I think that's the way we're going. Once you get there and then you've got representation at the table from all parties, then I think maybe we get to a place where even if we don't have a centralized you know, a classical commissioner role in college football. What I do think is the ACC and the Big Ten and the SEC could probably come to consensus on how NIL should work and how the transfer portal should be able to work. They may not agree on a lot of things, but for the betterment of the sport, I don't talk to a lot of coaches who say, oh, I love where NIL is right now. I don't think there are a lot of commissioners who say, oh, I got no problem with the transfer portal. Everyone's got issue with it uh, on all sides of the fence. And so, yeah, that's going to be reined in. I just don't think it's going to be reined in in a vacuum. It's going to coincide with some other things happening on the player side of the fence, I think. Josh, I saw you tweet the video of Kirby Smart talking about good people leaving college football because of all the issues surrounding it and coaches not wanting to deal with it and sprinting to the NFL the first chance that they get. Do you, do you buy that from Kirby Smart, that there are a lot of college football coaches looking around right now thinking – this is even too much of a headache. I don't love this sport as much as I once loved it, and I'd love to go have an opportunity in the NFL. Do you think that's starting to happen? Wholeheartedly. It's been happening. It's not just head coaches either. He's not talking just about head coaches. He's talking about a lot of assistant coaches. There are a lot of really good assistant coaches right now who are hanging out in the NFL, um, You know, and you talk to some of them, and they would shock you with what they say. They've been in the trenches college football, NFL, and they'd say, it's not, it's not even comparable. Like I've got so much more free time as an NFL head coach. Now, look, you can have two responses to this. You can either have what I call the low hanging fruit response of, Oh, cry me a river. You get paid a lot of money. Deal with it. Which I I think uh, is bathed in a lot of ignorance because the fact of the matter is I could pay you a billion dollars. Like at some point there's acceptable and there's not acceptable. There's realistic and there's not realistic. So what Kirby smart is saying is to me what also makes it borderline impossible for a new head coach to really jump in and hit the ground running right now. Like, think about being Brent Venables at Oklahoma. You've never been a head coach before. You've got to know things today that you didn't even have to know 10 years ago. You've got to know how to construct a college scouting department, not just high school. You've always had to recruit high school kids and scout them. You've got to now have a legitimate college scouting department to where if a kid that plays left guard for Ole Miss goes on the market in the transfer portal, you already got to have a scouting report on him. You got to have his injury history. You got to know his points of contact. Like you got to do all that stuff. You've got to know how to leverage NIL. You've also got to check day to day 
to keep up with the rule changes. There are no experts on NIL. It's brand new. There are no experts on the transfer portal. It's brand new. You've got to know all that, guys, on top of what you already had to know and what you already had to take care of. So you can make staffs as big as you want to. At the end of the day, there's one guy with his hands on the wheel, and it is a hard job. And then when you bleed it down to the assistant level, it's a hard job. And as long as the compensation is even remotely comparable, yes, Kirby Smart's right. Like that exit door is being hit more and more by guys who may have grown up loving the college game more, but they've also got a family that like to see every now and then. And shockingly, the pro game gives you that more than the college game right now. Josh, do you think there's a scenario where we see Sankey and the SEC become not the central governing body, but the standard for which everyone else follows? They're benefiting a lot from the transfer portal, but they're also losing players to the transfer portal. I'm wondering, do you think that as a conference, as the the conference that everyone looks to, that everyone's jealous of, with their TV rights and much, much more, um, and all the money they make, do you think they eventually say, you know what, we're going to govern ourselves with all of this, with NIL, with transfers, and everything else? Yes, I do. Um, I think Greg Sankey learned under Mike Slive, and what Mike Slive or Greg Sankey would tell you is there's no approach that's too bold. Like There's not a step that's too big to make as long as it's strategically thought out, which is what has been totally lacking from the NCAA side of things lately. The NCAA, I mean, my personal opinion on it is you've got a lot of people that had long been immune to criticism. They didn't have to deal with it. And I think whether it's the advent of technology or the advancement of social media, there are just more opinions out in the marketplace. And the NCAA is a more public entity now than it ever has been. And those folks started to get criticized And that's like overturning a rock. I mean, you see little critters running all over the place because they're not used to the sunlight. Uh, That's a a very bad comparison because uh, people in Indy, but what I'm saying is they reacted poorly to new criticism. And so they just said, transfer portal, go for it. NIL, go for it. There was was no procedural um, guidance given. No one knew what to do. Everyone's just like, okay, uh, how do we handle this? Doesn't matter. We got to handle it. Well, that is a big step without the proper governance and proper guidance figured out. If Greg Sankey and the member institutions in the SEC think that they can self-govern, if they don't want to wait around on Indianapolis, and by that, of course, I mean the NCAA handing down guidance, then yes. And they're on the road to becoming the most powerful entity in this game anyway, in college athletics anyway, and that includes the NCAA. I'm confident that the SEC is here a decade from now. I am not in any way confident the NCAA, as we currently know it, is here a decade from now. So, yes, I think there will be some proactive nature in the future to how the SEC operates. And then I think there will be a lot of following their lead as opposed to the NCAA's lead. Josh Pate with us, uh, covers national college football for 24-7 sports. Late Kick Josh is where you can follow him. Speaking of following the lead... um, There were teams that jumped in and tried to take advantage of NIL, tried to take advantage of the transfer portal, and some who did not. Uh, One of those teams that I'm surprised by that is having really big success is Arkansas and Sam Pittman. What's the reason for it? Why aren't we paying more attention to what Arkansas is doing in the transfer portal right now? I don't know why people aren't paying more attention to it. I, I mean, I've dedicated multiple segments on it lately. They are doing the same thing that Michigan State's been able to do. South Carolina is trying to grab a piece of this. There are two different ways, obviously, now that you can build a roster. You can either just recruit at a top five level traditionally, 
or you can be in the 10 to 20 range. In other words, get the Christmas tree and then you can go to the transfer portal for an ornament here or there. And Arkansas has got some really, really nice ornaments in this past cycle. But what they have up there that I just think has been totally flown over by a lot of the, the national sort of legacy media apparatus is they've got an incredible culture up there. Now, if you're on the ground, if you watch this sport 365 days a year, you kind of get that. But those guys from the portal and some of these recruits, they've actually experienced it. And, you know, I, I'm over with 24-7 sports. You try and quantify everything in terms of a player grade and a star ranking. And, you know, we try and develop models that predict spreads and scores on games. There's some stuff in sports, just like in life, that you can't quantify. And you cannot quantify strong culture. I don't know how to assignate a number grade on how much that's worth at Arkansas. But it's worth a lot. And they won nine games this past year and played in a New Year's Bowl. And they played both participants in the national championship game during that schedule. Like if I gave them Cincinnati's schedule, I don't know that they wouldn't have pushed for a playoff spot this past year. I don't think people know how good Arkansas was this past year. And they got that quarterback coming back. And they're only going to bolster that roster. And now it's a destination. Important to note here, not just for players. Assistant coaches want to go there too. Like there are some assistant coaches turning down offers to stay at Arkansas. So they've got it off the ground. That is a model I hope a lot of college programs try and follow. Find a guy that is a unique puzzle piece fit to your culture. College football culture matters way more. Specific geographical cultural fit matters way more in this sport than the pro sport. Josh, I get really frustrated with this, you call it legacy media. I, I, I refer to it as sort of this echo chamber media groupthink that goes on. And there's two instances of this that I want to ask you about. First is the idea that it's somehow wrong to praise or glorify someone who makes the decision to play in a quote-unquote meaningless bowl game. And I'm talking about Matt Corral. Matt Corral is going to be one of my favorite players because he could have easily opted out like Kenny Pickett or so many other players, but instead he said, I'm not going to bail out on these guys who helped get me here. They're a big part of the reason I'm here. He played, he got hurt, and immediately I turn on the Twitter machine. I know exactly what I'm going to get. Oh, here's why you don't play. Here's Matt Corral. This is why all you people out there saying they should play in the games and play for their team. This is why you got to look out for old number one. How did we get to a point where it's somehow frowned upon to be a team player and to play for your team? I, I just don't get it. And when I look at it on social media, it seems like everyone falls in line with this narrative that, oh, you got to look out for yourself and not worry about the team. I don't understand it. Well, I think the ones who are vocal, it seems like you have a consensus there. I think that's a vocal minority, just like a majority of Twitter is. But I do think that the ones who spoke up, yes, you do hear that sentiment. You said you don't understand and you're rubbed the wrong way by that kind of consensus over on that side of the fence. Look, I am too, but I selfishly love that it exists because what we're doing right now, what you guys are able to do with this show, what I'm able to do with my show, the entire sort of parallel college football media ecosystem that has been given rise to lately is because of that. And it's people, it's fans, which is really all that matters here. It's the viewer speaking with their viewership and their dollars and their attention. And so when I listened to it for a long time, I tried to argue against it for a long time. You know, when we had COVID come around and we had totally differing viewpoints on what is responsibly safe to be able to do and what shouldn't be done, 
you had some people expose themselves in our industry. And look, I, I personally saw benefit from that. I don't speak selfishly in saying that. I just say, I, I stuck talking about college football and it turns out that's what people wanted. I think a lot of major networks have learned that lesson in some cases more so than others. But I, I don't think what I'm saying is I don't think that sentiment is going anywhere. So what you can do is you can either fight it or you can give an alternative to folks. And so like, I think you've chosen your lane. I think I've chosen my lane and I'll just shake my head at it, but also kind of have this sly grin on the side of my face. Cause I know that there are way more people out there that would prefer an alternative than what they're currently being given on the, the legacy national college media landscape, which kind of parallels news media as well. And so if that's the way it's got to be, that's the way it's got to be. Well, it's an excellent point. And I became aware of you. I was aware of you before, but where I really started watching some of your videos and commentary was after the Tennessee Ole Miss game and your take on officiating and that being the real issue. And Josh, I knew the moment I saw it when there was an issue with stuff being thrown on the field, which should never happen. And I'll, I'll never apologize for that. That should never get to that point. But I knew, I, I said, well, crap. This is now <laughs> going to be the story and not the fact that officiating in this game cost one team a game. <laughs> It's not going to be that. How is that not a scoop and score by Tyler Barron? Why are we allowing this to happen with fake injuries over and over and over again? All of these different issues overshadowed by that. And I knew that was going to happen. I thought your commentary on it was terrific. I guess my question is, how do we now get to a point? Because it happened again with Tennessee to a different extent against Purdue. Uh, Luckily, this time, no one threw anything on the field or at least the play (laughs) wasn't stopped. So now people and media and everyone started talking about, you know, what happened at the end of that game with officiating. Now, how do we get to the point of transparency with officiating and actually changing things for the good of college football and making it where it's a better product? I hate that that happened, period. But I really hate that it happened specifically at the end of the game. It happened at the end of because I am convinced had that game ended in a traditional manner, don't really even care who wins. If that game were to end in a traditional manner, I was convinced the major national talking point was going to be there has to be officiating reform in college football tonight because that was egregious. It was the most egregious example that I had seen, number one, of no accountability on the side of college officials. And number two, there was something that to me, is a blatant mockery of the game, and that being faking injuries, that was on full display there. It wasn't one or two times. It was like 20 times in a game. And then you have what happens at the end, and and you got you know, the storyline crowd out there who really wants to talk about anything other than the product on the field because they're more well-versed in storyline, sort of soap opera-ish stuff than football. And so they took that and ran with it. And we didn't really get any close to solving the issue or any closer to solving the issue. And I don't know that we're any closer today. To solving the issue. This is another one of those things that if you had, you know, a more centralized approach to the game, doesn't have to be a commissioner, but if you had everyone on board, we, we have got a billion dollar industry here with this nickel and dime officiating arm. And that's not to disparage officials. There's some really good ones out there that work their tail off to get where they are, but they also need to be held accountable. It's not the worst thing in the world to take an official in a sporting event and have them have to give an account of the call he made. Coaches have to. Players have to. I I don't know why there's this little protective orb around officials. I've never understood that. Now, the counter is, 
well, these guys are only part-time and they, they don't get paid a whole lot. Make them full-time and pay them a whole lot more. You can afford it. And if that's what it takes to get some accountability and a higher standard for officiating, then I'm all for it. Yeah, it's like, uh, so Chad and I, when we call the state championships here in Tennessee, they tell us, you know, hey, you know, and, 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 for, and for good reason at the high school level, right? It's like, hey, there are not many officials for high school football, so don't rip them too much because we want these guys to come back. It's like college football takes the same approach to it, and even at the highest level, which is the, the SEC, it's that they, they want to put them in the corner and, and not show them off, but they want them there on game day so they can play their game. I'm, I'm with you. The NFL doesn't do very much either, but at least you get a sheet if you need to with a, a pool reporter asking some questions about some close calls at the end. I, they, they need some sort of, you mentioned figurehead for, for the NCAA. They need a referee group and a figurehead for that much like the NFL would have for Pereira or anybody in the years past. That will be honest with you, by the way. Right, will, right. Will not, what made me sick. So in the Purdue-Tennessee bowl game, you had what happened with, uh, you know, was it a score? Did he break the plane? Was the play blown dead? Was forward progress stopped? Okay, I think we all can read the rule and understand that once the play is stopped, this doesn't matter and that doesn't matter. Everyone's problem was that the play was stopped. It's not what happened after. And so when you bring someone on that's your officiating expert and he's telling you, well, you know, believe it or not, guys, this was officiated the right way if you read the rule. We get what the rule says, man. Like, that's so, it's such a bad faith argument and you're assuming everyone in the audience is ignorant. It's, it's okay to say we butchered this one. We messed it up. And it's okay not even to have to have a figurehead. How about just have someone with that crew able to step up and say it all fair all fair uh late kick josh is where you can follow josh pate on twitter of course you got the great instagram account as well uh host of the late kick and the late kick pod uh congrats on all the success with the channels great work are you in nashville by the way are you stationed in nashville i am man i'm downtown i feel lucky man we got off we got off the hook this last time i thought we were going to be buried under like <laughs> half a foot of snow and we cheated i don't know what we did but we cheated I mean, Chad and I live about 25 minutes outside of music, outside of Nashville, and we had more snow here, and then there was nothing downtown. Nothing. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. Come by come by 6th and Peabody yeah, and say jo- hello join sometime. Us, join us sometime in studio. We should have invited you here today, in fact. I'm going to hit you guys up now. I, now that I know the address, this is dangerous to give this information out to me, but now that I got it, I got it. You got it, man. Hey, we appreciate you. Uh, and Really enjoy your work, and we'll have you on again soon, hopefully. Appreciate it, guys. All Thanks, right. Josh. Josh Pate there. Uh, late kick on youtube is where uh, the algorithms now point me to his to his videos each evening which is great uh, the dude works hard at his at his craft he's very good he's, he's very good and he's very good at giving a, a different perspective at times that you're not often going to get uh and again i i was really drawn to him uh with his officiating commentary in the sec uh, after that tennessee old miss game but he, he does a terrific job and, and really appreciate him joining us Coming up, we look at the week ahead and set up some storylines that we're going to be watching for. Maybe some headlines for tomorrow, for Thursday, that we're expecting to be discussing on the show leading up to the divisional round of the National Football League. That's next on Outkick 360. Coming up on the Wednesday edition of the show, we'll have primary complaint, a staple every Wednesday on Outkick 360. We'll also be discussing... um, the matchups for the divisional round and the one common theme that one team doesn't follow. We'll have that plus 
uh, we'll discuss the big picture for Ryan Tannehill. This is a a big playoff push for Tannehill and, and what he's capable of. Because like it or not, Chad, quarterbacks are defined by what they do in the postseason. And he enters now two wins away from a Super Bowl with the thoroughbred in the backfield, another one at wide receiver, and a healthy offensive line. Uh, they're as healthy as they've been since week one with the injury report today. It's outstanding to see the injury report after the bye week. A big week for him and a big moment for him trying to get to the AFC Championship, back to the AFC Championship, and uh, we'd be able to host it in his own stadium. We'll, we'll compare him to expectations for other quarterbacks who have started the playoffs and failed, and others who, like Joe Burrow, who took his team to the playoffs and Cincinnati won their playoff game for the first time in 31 years. Well, Matthew Stafford is one for one yep. in, in playoffs, right? Yep. Going in 0-3 lifetime over his career in, his, in the playoffs. Uh, first test was passed. If Ryan Tannehill can go on another run, you know, win a game, play well, win a game, get to the AFC Championship game, it goes from, oh, this is a quarterback who just caught lightning in a bottle and they had that great run uh, a couple years ago to get to Kansas City in the AFC Championship game to, oh, this is a guy who is leading a franchise that is a winner year in and year out and went on two separate runs in the playoffs. There's a big difference between that between a one-year playoff run and a guy who now he's done it multiple times. There's a lot of pressure on Ryan Tannehill with this because his play has not been at its best this season. And he's got a chance to completely wash that away and prove a lot of doubters wrong. Also, uh, another storyline we'll be hitting is the, the there's a matchup that I, I think some will probably realize as the game draws closer that hasn't been hit on yet. And it's the matchup of the two head coaches. These are the two head coaches that are finalists for coach of the year in many people's minds. It's Lafleur, not Lafleur. It was Lafleur. It's Zach Taylor, or it's Mike Vrabel. And you're hearing arguments on both sides. We're seeing the head-to-head matchup this week. And Vrabel's eight and zero coming off a bye week. If you're not counting uh, the the days off prior to the start of week one, um, where they've lost some season openers there, but not counting season openers, he's eight and zero coming off uh, extra rest. So uh, I'm intrigued by the matchup there because Coach of the Year is impactful not just for having to navigate injuries. Coach of the Year is saying that they're the best coach out there given the circumstances. And we've seen Taylor rise to the occasion, and now Vrabel has a chance to lead his team at home as the number one seed. That, that We'll get to that tomorrow, too. Uh, some storylines to watch throughout the evening and tomorrow morning. Dan Quinn is the hottest name right now among NFL coaches who are interviewing for open jobs. He's interviewed. Uh, he has scheduled interviews with the Bears, the Broncos, the Dolphins, and the Vikings. And Which tells me he's getting a job. He's getting a job. He's getting one of these jobs. The Bears have also interviewed Brian Flores, Jim Caldwell, Brian Dayball, Matt Eberflus, Nathaniel Hackett, and Doug Peterson. And I think there's one there's one assistant who's currently still coaching that I hope has the opportunity to land a job because I think he has a real shot at being innovative, adaptive to whatever team he takes over, especially a young quarterback and a chance to mold a team based on the the acquisition of uh, veteran talent through free agency. But also, I don't think he'll be stuck to his one way of doing things because he hasn't been throughout his career. 
his short career. We'll get into that guy coming up tomorrow as well. Chad, some SEC hoops tonight. Tennessee yeah. Vandy. Uh, here in our, our fine city, uh, Tennessee at Memorial Gym against Vanderbilt. This was, you know, for years, this would have been a premier winter sporting event. Not so much the case now, so much, in fact, that Vanderbilt doesn't even allow their students to attend games. So there will be no student section at the game tonight to watch this, sold, which would have been a factor. They in years sold past. those seats, though, probably to Tennessee fans. Probably, or to no one. That's right. That's big my, thanks, my other guess. Big thanks to the uh, entire crew for making it happen today. We're back tomorrow for Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network.